Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. Good to see everybody here this morning. You could have been in a lot of places, but you made a good choice to come to the house of the Lord. David says, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. So you did a good thing to be here. Maybe before I start sharing with you, I would like us to go into prayer for our brother Philip's son who had an accident who's feeling much better now. Let's just say a prayer to him, to, for him. Father, we just want to thank you this morning. We lift up Philip's son to you and we lift up Philip's family. We pray, Father, that you be with them. We thank you for the good report of healing that's taking place in his life. Thank you for touching him. In Jesus' mighty, matchless name, amen. This morning, you are not going to hear an exegetical message. It's going to be different. I'm just going to do simply storytelling. And once in a while, it's good to listen to a good story. And this story that we are talking about this morning is a juicy story. Hollywood has tried to do some justice to this story, but they failed. It was all the elements of a thriller. A handsome young man, last involved Betrayal involved and a fantastic rise to the top. That's a fantastic story. And that's what we are going to talk about this morning. And as I narrate the story, we'll let the scripture unfold. There are going to be lots of slides because I'm going to be all over the place from Genesis 37 to Genesis 50 trying to just narrate this wonderful story. And it kicks off at the age of 17. As we continue with our series about the God who calls, we have seen Abraham being called, and there was a distinct voice that was heard God calling him. And we see Moses being called, and God is speaking in a unique way to Moses. And this call today on Joseph, it's different. Because God does not speak in an audible voice to him, but God speaks to him through dreams. Why is that? This is only a 17-year-old boy. God did not want to give him a heart attack 
by speaking in a loud audible voice or through a burning bush. Point number one, God speaks your language. When God is ready to speak to you, He will speak to you in a way that you will distinctly understand that God is talking to me. Even if you are in middle school or high school, don't worry, God is not coming to appear to you and say, Thou art your God, I am coming to you. He will speak to you in a way that you will understand and realize that God is speaking to me. So God speaks to this young man in dreams. I want you to see the character of this young man at the beginning and in the conclusion. I want you also to take note the changes that would have transpired in his life. He was born when his father was older. My oldest son, I raised him differently from my last born child. Why? It's because I was an inexperienced parent. He would ask me questions like, why are these younger siblings allowed to go more on sleepovers than you used to allow me? Well, I was inexperienced. I was not trusting anybody. That's why I didn't give you more freedom. But the older I grew, the older I understood to be a better parent. I made more mistakes with him than with the younger one. And this is the position where Joseph finds himself in. Because the scriptures say he was born when his father was at an older age. He had matured as a parent. He understood. I cannot speak for motherhood because I've never experienced that. But from a father's point of view, that's what happened to me. And we see the kid talks a lot. And it gets him into trouble. It's like getting to a new company. And you say, I dreamt being the CEO here. I dreamt being the managing director here and all of you in this boardroom listening to me. He had no filters. Why? It's because he was young. He was brushed. Whenever he saw something wrong with his brothers, he would go and report it. Dream number one, verse seven. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. And in my notes I wrote, Ouch! Dream number one. <laughs> and verse eight, his brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him the more because of his dream and what he had said. As if this was not enough, there follows another one of the big dreams, verse 9. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. 
Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. Because of this, this actually earned Joseph some tough talking and rebuke from his number one fan, who was his father. Was God communicating with Joseph? Was God calling Joseph? Was Joseph mature enough to handle the call? Remember, Joseph is only a teenager when he got the call. It was evident that something great was going to happen in his life. Yet, he was not ready. God knew that Joseph was not yet ready for the big leagues. He was supposed to play in the little leagues first. And that was, there was a reason for that. Why God allowed it to happen that way. And that's what we'll be exploring in this call. God had called him. It was clear. And we all don't get calls as big as Joseph's call. Pastor Colin was talking about spending time with youth and it being scary. Maybe that's the call that God is calling you to be volunteering and ministering in the youth department. We've got grief share programs here. We have divorce care programs. And we have got a program that ministers to people whose families have addictions. Jim and Jera, they lead that ministry here. You know what? Maybe baking cakes is your gift. They could use some baked cookies every Wednesday when they meet. The grief share class could use some baked cookies. Or the divorce care class, you just come and leave your cookies that are smelling hot and nice and make coffee for them and leave. That could be the extent of your call. We are a large church. We have many sick people. Maybe God is calling you to visit sick people. You don't have to preach. You have to say a prayer and just be there. That's all that it takes. A few years back I spoke about Sister Jean, who was a little nun, who was ministering to a basketball team, and we all came to know of her in the SNCAA tournament a few years ago. God is not restricted by denominational boundaries or denominational labels. He took this little nun and used it to transform lives on campus. Maybe I want to mention this morning a woman who obeyed God's call on her life. And this woman is my late mother that we just buried a few weeks ago. Beautiful woman. 
she was also a crazy lady. I'll explain the craziness. Growing up, it was six of us kids and two parents. And we lived in a three-roomed house, not three-bedroomed. Get that? Three-roomed, one, two, three. And at this point where I'm narrating the story, two of my sisters had been married, so we were left four kids and two parents. And they came from Mozambique, a family that had three children, a father and a mother, five of them, and they were stranded in Zimbabwe. And my mother took that family in that three-roomed house and we lived with them for more than four months. She helped feed the family by going to the market and buying vegetables and walking miles and miles selling those vegetables. So during the break, some people came and asked me, they said, then how did you sleep? Well, we didn't sleep on beds in order to maximize the space. We had mats made out of reeds that you would just spread on the floor. Me and my siblings, one room, this new family in one room, and my father and mother in one room, and that was it. For more than three months, up to five months, we lived with that family. That was her call. Taking care of people, loving people. I had a cousin that they took in at some point. He was close to my age. And I had bitterness in my heart. And the bitterness stemmed from the fact, why do you treat my cousin the same exact way you treat me? I am your own flesh and blood, and he is not. And it took years down the line for the light bulb to shine in me why she did that. At the time of her death, she had seven people that she was living with in her household that, he continue, that she considered to be her children. And as I watched hundreds and hundreds of people who came to her funerals that day, I realized what an impact her life had made in her community simply because she obeyed the call that was in her life. Before I finish about her, fast forward to the early 2000s, we come to the USA. We have four kids at this point in time, me and my wife, and we are living in a three-bedroom apartment somewhere close by, I won't say the name, but somewhere close, 71st and Yale, somewhere there. And we hear that there is a pastor from Africa. And they've come to school here in Tausa, and somehow their housing arrangement fell through. And they were urgently in need of somewhere to stay. And I said in my mind, you know what? I've got a three-bedroom apartment. This is going to work out. So finally I go to the apartment manager's office 
and I say to him, this is the situation, can I take in this family? And she says to me, Shano, this is the United States of America, this is not Africa. We have rules and regulations. You have six people in your apartment and you have three bedrooms. That's enough. And I think she could see how crestfallen I looked on my face when she said that. And she gave me a lifeline. She says, You and I never had this conversation. And whenever I see your friends in the complex, I'm going to pretend that I never saw them. For the next three months, we had this pastor, his wife, and their kid in our three-bedroom apartment, living together with only one person with a paycheck of $10 an hour then. Why? It's because of somebody who had set an example. Somebody who followed God's will and God's story in her life. So Joseph, so God puts a hold on Joseph's life. He says, you are not yet ready for the big time. We still have some things that we need to do in your life. And God starts preparing Joseph's life. The greater the calling, the greater the preparation. The enemy also knew Joseph's destiny. The enemy tried to destroy Joseph's destiny, and God used what the enemy planned to shape and prepare Joseph for his ministry. So during this preparation stage, certain things happened. The first thing that happened to him he was thrown into a cistern, Genesis 37, verse 24. And they took him and threw him into a cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. This guy had been promised to go up. But we see the first thing happen. He goes down. The way in the, of the king, things in the kingdom work is the way up is the way down. You go down, the way up, you go down first. Jesus himself, before he rose again, he had to go down into the earth. And the devil rejoiced, not knowing that after three days he was going to rise up again. And Jesus teaches this same principle to his disciples. He says, whoever wants to be great amongst you, he must be like one of the little of these ones. And he says, unless a seed dies, goes to the ground, it cannot rise up and be plentiful. That's God's principle. We see this guy who's supposed to be up, he goes down. Then Joseph was sold by his brothers, verse 28. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled 
Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. And this again typifies Jesus. We see that deadly kiss after he had been sold. And we see Joseph being sold. And the brothers went back to their father and they made up a wild story that he had been killed. And then in Egypt, Joseph was sold to Potiphar's household. Verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Oh my goodness. He's still going downhill, the guy. He's now being sold as a slave. And 39 verse 2 says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Maybe somebody's down this morning. I don't know what it could be. A diagnosis. A situation. I've talked this in the divorce care class. That sometimes when you are feeling worthless after a divorce and you feel that you have failed. And I've said maybe those are the moments when God reaches out. When you are in pain of a loss of a loved one. When you are down by the pits. This is God's specialty. The Bible says he is the one who turns things around. With God, all things are possible. Amen. During that dark moment, when he was in that household, when everything seemed lost, the Bible says God was with him. I want to declare to you this morning that whatever your situation, whatever darkness might seem to be engulfing you, God is with you. The Bible says he will never leave us alone. He will never forsake us because he will always be with us. That's his promise. And he was there with Joseph. Not only was he now a slave? We see him being wrongly accused. And in today's jargon or today's language, he became a sex offender. Let's be real about that. He was accused of a sexual sin. So he officially became a sex offender. But did he commit that sin? No. It was just an accusation, but whatever trial was there, he went into prison. Let's be real here. He became prisoner number 4468, whatever that means. And there is a handsome young man. He is only 17. He is going into a place where there are hardened criminals. 
hardened sexual predators who really did it. And they are eyeing this kid who is walking into the slammer. Be real when you read your scriptures. And what does God do? The Bible says, while he was there, the Lord protected him. This naive young man who didn't know much about life, all of a sudden he's thrown amongst the wolves, the hardcores, the hardened criminals. And the Bible says God was with him. Whenever they came to cell number 17, they could feel the presence and the glory of the Lord. And they were flocking to cell number 17, asking about their problems, asking about things that were happening. So much that one of the beggars came to him and he interpreted his dream. Why? It's because they knew that there was somebody in cell 17 who knew God. I want to say to you, maybe in your situation, in your workplace, in your school, the Lord is with you. It is time for people to know that God is with you, that you are different. Not because you are Bible thumping or a placard waving Christian, but by looking at your life, they can tell that God is with you. This is a good place to say amen. <laughs> And the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. God made him rise. And he was wrongly accused. I went ahead of myself. So verse 6. Now Joseph, now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said come to bed with me. But he refused. So we see him being in prison. So he's re rejected by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. He's now behind bars. And the fourth thing that happened to him was he was forgotten. Chapter 40, verse 23. The chief cupbearer that Joseph had helped in prison even forgot Joseph. Do you sometimes feel like you are forgotten in life? That everybody else is noticed. But you are kind of like an addendum, an add-on. That's okay. The people that were supposed to, to know about Joseph's situation about how God used him. They forgot about him. What is God trying to do? What happened to the dreams? What happened to God's call? Let's look at what God is trying to do. God was using Joseph, the circumstances to propel Joseph forward. God was cultivating Joseph's character for the day he will be in charge. Character develops 
and grows. I'm a sports person. I remember when my kids were six, five years and would go to those soccer games. I was one of those parents who would yell, Ref, are you blind? <laughs> or it's time you get a new prescription for your glasses. Nasty, isn't that so? I was a young parent, I was stupid, and I was nasty. Fast forward, years later when I would go to Trinity University in San Antonio or at TU here watching one of my boys play, he wouldn't recognize that I was the same person. Why? Over time people develop. You know that this is stupidity. I don't need to act that way. A ref is human. This game is going at such a fast pace, it's easy to make a mistake. You develop. You grow. That's what we are seeing happening in Joseph's life. So much that when he is at the throne, he is a different person from the kid that we had seen earlier before. And we see him coming to the throne in Genesis 41, 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and as wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people as to submit to your orders. Joseph had talent. He was born with talent. Talent is what God breathes in you. But character is who you are. During this process, God was helping Joseph to develop his character. I've heard heartbreaking stories whereby a kid signs a multi-million dollar contract for a sports team. And boom, six months down the line, does something very stupid and blows up every chance that he had of earning those millions. Have you heard those stories? Or somebody had a promising career, you'd think this is going to become the greatest leader, this is going to become the greatest politician, and boom, because of a rotten character, everything goes down the drain. Talent is different from character. Talent is something that God just breathed in somebody. So much that when you grab the hole, the, the, the mic, and go into the BOK, you can wow everybody. That's talent. So much that when you can grab that football, you can outrun and outmuscle everybody in your way. That's talent. Or you can be like Lionel Messi, whose foot is like magnetic to the soccer ball. That's talent. But character is who you are as a person. And ladies and gentlemen, this morning in conclusion, our country needs people that will display the fruit of the Spirit. In Genesis 50 verse 20, Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, 
but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That's what our country needs. Our country sharply divided as it is. It doesn't need people that are going to quote more and more scriptures. But it needs people that are going to display the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness. That's what our country needs. That's what your neighbors need. That's what your classmates needs. People that have got a character that is fashioned after Jesus. In closing, I would like to quote the words that were spoken by our wonderful missionary Sue Lick last week. She says, when you come to Mexico, the greatest thing that happens is people, they ask her, why do these people bother to come to us? Why do they waste so many resources to come to us? And she says, it gives me an opportunity to say, I'm paraphrasing it. Because they have the fruit of the Spirit, because they have got the love of Christ for you, because they are faithful to their calling, that's why they come here. That's what the world needs to feed off people that are Spirit-filled and that display the fruit of the Spirit. May God bless you all.